A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus raised his eyes to heaven and said, Father, those whom you gave me are your gift to me. I wish that where I am, they also may be with me, that they may see my glory that you gave me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world also does not know you, but I know you, and they know that you sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will make it known that the love with which you love, with which you love me, may be in them and I in them. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Please be seated. First of all, welcome to everybody and thank you for coming uh, to celebrate the life and the death and the new life of Jim Hausauer. I'm uh, Father Stan Mater, I'm a priest from Minnesota and uh, Jim and I were college friends and so we'll get back to that in a little bit. But um, as Father uh, Augustine said in the back of the church that the beginning of Mass we sprinkled the coffin with holy water as a reminder of of Jim's baptism. In the second reading we heard today, Paul says, are you not aware that when we were baptized, we were baptized in the death of Christ so that we can rise with him, so that we can walk in newness of life with him? So a lot of things we do at funerals are connected with what happens at baptism because that's where we encounter Christ the first time. And then um, now Jim is encountering Christ in another incredibly powerful way, face to face. So the water that is used, the white garment, like the one that one wears when they get baptized, uh, this candle called the Easter candle or the Paschal candle is lit at every baptism and at every funeral, connecting that. And it gets lit the first time at the Easter vigil where, is where we are celebrating that Jesus has passed through death to eternal life. And so that's our hope for Jim. That's our hope as Christians, that we can share in that. So we got this dying and rising happening everywhere in our life all the time. We die to a grudge, we rise to life, to greater love. We die to a bad habit, we rise to better health. We're dying all the time and rising to something else. Okay. So I said I, I, I uh, knew uh, Jim from college and uh, we were both math majors there. We were both... Uh, from kind of small town sort of situations. Uh, we were both German. We were both uh, baseball fans. And uh, so we would spend a lot of time together just because of all those things. I remember sitting in the back of class at a differential equations class as we tried to come up with, me from memory, everybody who ever played for the Minnesota Twins. And in the late 70s, that was quite a challenge because they were bringing in everybody because they were really bad at that time. Um, so, so we got to know each other and he was, uh, he was fun but quiet. You know? uh, and 
kind of, in a sense, almost resigned to things. He had this very humorous way of looking at the tragedies of the world, you know, uh, the tragedies of our personal lives, you know, like, like uh, what, uh, what could ever possibly happen to us. Um, he, uh, we wrote to each other right after, after college ended, we wrote to each other sometime and I gave the family some of these letters and they won't make any sense, call with questions. Okay, um, they reveal though some of his interests of that time and, and really throughout his life, you know, sports, uh, trivia, the German language, some of it's gonna be written in German. Um, mathematics, love-hate relationship with the Minnesota Twins, and his firm belief that I would get married before he did. <laughs> um, in fact, we would have these lists of who would get married when, and, and we always had our own selves at the end. But that all changed when he met Carol. It actually changed about several years after he met Carol, uh, because uh, he had to relentlessly pursue her for some years. Uh, now, for Jim, relentless, relentless pursuit of a woman meant every three weeks you tried to bump into them somewhere. Um, I accused him once of, you know, he said, I'm going to talk to this girl someday. And he said, I told him, all you'll be able to do is clear your throat as you walk by her. Okay. Um, but, uh, but they did get married almost 30 years ago, and I got to be at that wedding. And uh, I was still a lay person at that time. I, I used to work for a living. Um, and, but I saw real joy in Jim come to the surface. He was having so much fun there. Uh, he was always, I don't think he was never morose, but, but now what, every, it's like I have everything. You know that song, Now I Have Everything from Fiddler on the Roof. There it was. And um, he, uh, he had always possessed you know, great intelligence. He was high school valedictorian. He was, he was four sports kind of guy. He was uh, curious about many things, gifted in so many things. But uh, marriage to Carol completed him. And then, uh, then they started the family. And through uh, our letter writing got less, but I got Christmas cards, and so I kept updated on where they were and uh, what they were doing and what all the kids were doing and, and everything like that. But about four years ago, Jim got cancer, and he kind of beat it back, was working again, and then, but about a year ago, it became more clear that might have just about a year left. Even there, he got back to work. And, uh, but around that time, I, I came down. He, he wanted to get in touch, more in touch with people from his past. So, so we sent out some feelers, and, and, uh, and uh, I came down to visit. Some time opened up for me, and I came down. I got to talk to him you know, over about three days. It was, that was good. You know, Jim was a contented person. One of his sons told me last night, it was really hard to get him anything for Christmas because he really didn't want anything. He had everything, right? He had all that he really wanted. And that's, even though he knew he might be dying soon, there wasn't, he had a few goals. He wanted to get back to Mexico. He wanted to uh, do a few things. And he, but it was more concerned about things that he might miss in his family's life and some things that his family missed because he had been sick. Um, he, he uh, you know, but, but the fact that he was so contented and so unafraid, really, did not 
do anything wrong. I didn't, didn't have to change stuff in his life that much. And I think that's a mark of holiness. Long ago, I did date people. I did date women. And, and I dated somebody who worked in a hospice. And I asked her once, what do you learn from being around people that are going to die in the next three months or so? And she said, um, what I've learned is to simplify my life to the point where if I knew I was going to die in a few months, I wouldn't have to change anything. And that's a good way of thinking about evaluating what is your life like and what is, what is that. So you do these important things at the right time. Um, it's, it's a mark of a holy life when you don't fear death because and know, you know that you have lived. Know that you are currently living and not just preparing to live. So he didn't lose his fight with cancer. That's the thing. You know, he wrestled with it. You know, so don't think of it as succumbing to a disease so much as that story about Jacob wrestling with God. And they, draw, they come to a draw. Okay? And it, it's... Uh, and what has happened, what happens at the end of that is uh, nobody really wins or loses, just that things are different afterwards. And that's going to be something here, too. Things are going to be a bit different. But, you know, the connections we have in life don't dissolve when somebody dies. You know, Jesus really has conquered death. Then that's not the end of things. That's just not the end of it. It's uh, for a Christian, life means, it's for a Christian, death means life is changed and not ended. That's actually in one of our liturgical prayers. I don't know if we'll be using it today or not. But in the relationship you had with Jim, whether that was as his child, whether it's as his spouse, as his brother or sister, as a friend, as a co-worker, whatever it might be, as a neighbor, as uh, somebody that he coached, it... Um, this is going to be changed, but it isn't ended. All that you learned from him is still there. All that you admired in him is still there. And so listen for the whispers of God. You know, right after he died, stepped outside, there's this beautiful morning. And uh, so listen for those songs on the radio, what you might hear on the way to the cemetery, what something that you see that just seems not the time and place this normally happens. Those are whispers of God that God cares about you, and that Jim is okay. Um, so I called him a number of times in this, since last fall, and, and um, he noted one time that when I call, the, uh, the little spy phone would come up and say, Church of S. So he didn't know whether that was Church of Scientology, Church of Satan, you know, whatever, whatever it might be, but he, he would risk it then answer the phone, and so we could talk. The first reading today talked about people who die young. It's from the Book of Wisdom, and it's written in the not long, you know, 200 years before the time of Christ, maybe. And it's uh, when the Jewish people started to consider the idea that the resurrection of the body might be possible, because they saw, saw the body as the whole person. Okay, that's the way they thought. And, and, they, uh, and they question, why do the good die young? And it starts out, the just man, though he die early, is at rest. And that it's, um, 
its answer is that sometimes God takes somebody away because they're already perfected. They've already passed the test. And we don't want them to slip back and change the answers. You know? So there's, there's that. You know, it's hard to lose somebody who's good. And we note it so much more when they die young at 60. Uh, in the gospel, we hear some of the very final words that Jesus says to his apostles, to his disciples at the Last Supper. He has already washed their feet. He has already told them that he would be leaving. He has already talked about them, about being the vine and the branches. He has already talked about um, all that he had chosen them, that they did not chose, choose him. And now he is praying to God and is saying, these disciples, these people who are gathered, are your gift to me. And Jim might be saying something like that too. But you know, he is saying that we're connected together. He says, I am one in the Father. Paul will say, Christ is all in all. And when we are connected with Christ, as I believe Jim was, then we are all in all. We have connected to everybody else. And again, that connection is changed, but not ended. We are still together. And um, he says that, they, that Jesus would like to be with them again. And I think that would be that's certainly Jesus' wish, and I believe it's Jim's wish too. So um, let, let us live with the best of what Jim has taught us, and what Jim did himself, and then perhaps we will all be together again someday ourselves.